God tonight. We're, we're going to look at the scriptures because the scriptures build us up in the faith. And we're in a day of incredible warfare, incredible attack. Um, not anything that the Lord can't handle, but our culture has just become unhinged. You know, right when you think nothing bad, are you okay, Dwayne? Oh, I thought you were coming up to me. You, you made me nervous. You looked real resolute, like you were wrong. Okay, all right. Anyway, uh, just last week we prayed over the school in Nashville. And now this week, a bank. Five people taken, nine wounded. 23-year-old young man did it. Um, masters in finance. On the surface, wonderful-looking family. Dad was a basketball coach his whole life, professional. Um, I, a little brother. But he gets up, grabs that rifle, goes to the bank, walks into a conference room, takes out the executives, and lost his life. So, folks, these things don't just happen. They have a root. And I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my being that the answer is the gospel of Christ. I do. Because he changes hearts. we got a heart problem. We need a heart transplant in America, right? So when we get into things like going through these letters that burn... Uh, the, the, the writings of the apostles, the epistles, they guard you, they cleanse your mind, they correct, they build, they encourage, they illuminate. And we need it more than ever today. This is, is the light that shines in the dark, the Word of God, and Jesus in us. So we're going to learn the Word tonight. Amen. Is that okay with you? Yes. Father... Bless your word tonight, how we need it, how our nation desperately needs it. And Lord, we do pray for the families of those five that were taken from 63 years old to 40 years old. We pray for their spouses, their children, their parents, their friends. We pray, Lord, for healing on them. And healing for the family of the boy that did this. Surely, Lord, those parents are just wrecked. The little brother wiped out. Lord, bring healing to them. And we just thank you, Lord, that the word we're going to look at tonight is a healing word. You sent your word and heal them. So heal us tonight, Lord. Build us up tonight in the faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, his word is like honey. Yeah. Man, I'm going to have to give an invitation Sunday for people to get here on Wednesday nights. Um, amen. Post-Easter, exhale. All right. Letters that burn. First Peter, we're going to look at... Uh, let me just recap a little bit. Last time in chapter 4 is where we are, 1 Peter 4. We ended with a look at the coming judgment of God and the second coming of Christ. Uh, judgment is coming. The Bible has talked about that forever. This should not be news to anybody here. You say, what do you mean, Jeff? I mean that God's going to judge the world. The Bible says he's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's going to judge the world. And so, in verse 4, Peter makes mention of those who mock the new Christian. And uh, when he or she will no longer party hardy with them as they're used to them doing. How many of you, when you got saved, you quit going where they went and, and they didn't understand that? Your old friends. Neither did mine. And they told me I would soon be back. Well, that was 
longer ago than I care to say. (laughs) Over 50 years ago, I never went back. Amen? Now, Peter says, they're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you. Yeah? When you don't go with them. Why aren't you going to the bar with us? Why aren't you partying with us? Why don't you go smoke a little dope with us? What's the matter? What happened to you? Don't give me that religion stuff. And they mock you. But Peter says in verse 5, they're going to have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? They're going to give an account for everything they said against you. For by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. Jude 14 and 15, Jude's one chapter, in verses 14 and 15, echoes the very same warning. He says, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. So everybody say with me, the Lord is coming. Why is he coming? To execute judgment on the people of the world. That's why he's coming. He's coming to do that. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he will come to judge the world. And when he comes to judge the world, he's going to judge people for the words they have spoken. And if they spoke words against his people, his children, they're going to be judged for it. If they spoke words against Christ, which is much worse, they're going to be judged for it. These days, you know, we've got these, these comedians, 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 and they're on late night, and they're, they're on social media, and, I, and I'm noting that more and more of them are, are, are mocking Christ, making fun of Christ. One comedian made fun of Christ and dropped over and fainted on the stage. So you better be careful what you say about Christ. But the Bible says he's coming to judge the world. And he's going to judge the world for what they said against his people and against him. So be very careful what you say about Jesus. Amen? Now, what Jude is talking about is the second coming of Jesus. Where he will appear in the sky at the end of the great tribulation period. He'll appear in the eastern sky. He will come with his saints. The very ones that harsh sinners slandered and persecuted are going to come back with Jesus. It is the raptured church coming back with him. That's right. You're going to be up there. All right? He says, Jeff, do you really believe that? Of course I believe that. Why would I not believe that? It's way easier to believe that I came from some ancient amoeba in some primordial sea that eventually grew legs and then all these species came out of it and I'm the result of that ancient single-celled organism in some distant sea. That's not science. That's a religion. So yes, I believe it. Oh yeah, I believe it. A virgin had a baby. I believe it. Jesus Christ got up from the dead. I believe it. When you come to him, you believe all kinds of miracles. So yes, I believe we'll be coming back with the Lord. Uh, Listen to what it says, Matthew 25. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is Jesus. He lands on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives cleaves in half. And he calls the nations before him. This is the judgment of nations. It will happen at the second coming of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment that happens after the millennium. This is when Jesus returns, we have the judgment of the nations. All the nations will be brought before Christ. The returned, risen Christ. And he's going to separate sheep from goats. The sheep are the saved, the goats are the lost. Then the king is going to say to those on his right, 
the saved. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Catch that. When did God start getting our home ready? Before he made the worlds. He's been building a long time. That's a mind bender, isn't it? Before he said, let there be light. Before he started creating our planet, he already had the kingdom for the redeemed under construction. Mm-mm-mm. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. But then the king's going to turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into, everybody read it with me, into what? The eternal fire. I don't know how people say Jesus never talked about hell. We just read it. The eternal fire. Do I relish that? No, I can't wrap my mind around that. But that's what he said. Jesus said it. Prepare for the devil and his demons. It's not even originally prepared for human beings. It's prepared for the devil and his demons. But when man fell, he was included. Now, as we jump back to 1 Peter, Peter makes a very strange statement. This is a tough one. This is one of the toughest verses in the New Testament. Verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, what in the world is that about? This is a very uh, hotly contested verse. It's a very controversial verse. And there are several ways that people interpret this verse. I'm going to give you what I think is the most reasonable. The good news is, Whatever we think about this verse has nothing to do with whether or not we stay saved. Amen? It's not a deal breaker. It's just a very mysterious, difficult to interpret verse. So look what he says. For this reason, the gospel was preached to those who are dead. Who's the dead? That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So who's the dead? Who's this talking about? The word that Peter uses for preach, euangelion, it's evangelize. It's, it means a joyful message. It's the good news. So the word for preach here is, is not the kind of preaching that is saying to, to whoever hears it, uh, judgment is on the way. No, in other words, it's not a bad news message. Whoever this is, the dead, it's good news. He's telling them good news. That's why words matter. So, Peter is likely referring to the men who, when still alive, had heard the gospel and been saved. And because of their new Christian life, they were harshly judged by the kind of men he's just talked about in verse 5, right? They're going to answer for all the terrible things they said against the believers. The ungodly are going to answer for it. I I believe the thought carries to verse 6, all right? So verse 6 is talking about those that heard the good news, got saved, got all kinds of grief for it, finally died or were martyred, And because of their new Christian life, they were judged by those wicked men. And though judged by wicked men while on earth, they are now alive by the Spirit resting with Jesus. Now that makes sense to me. All right? So he's talking about people that had heard it, got saved, got grief for it, or were killed for it. Could have happened in Peter's day easy. They could have been martyred. So they died, but now they're alive in the Spirit, and they're with God. And I think that's the most sensible interpretation. Again, I'm not saved or lost for what I think about this verse. Amen? And neither are you. Now next, Peter deals with the question, how shall we as believers live in the midst of a wicked world that is persecuting our faith and threatening our lives? 
How Shall We Then Live? Francis Schaeffer wrote that famous book with a famous title, How Shall We Then Live? How do, how do you live in a culture that is getting darker and darker? I had a radio caller tonight, and um, you know, I do to every man an answer from five to six every Wednesday, and I'm talking to the whole United States of America. And um, I think his call was from Kentucky. And he said, what do you do with John 9, 4, where Jesus said, work while it is day, because night comes when no man can work. He said, what does that verse mean? What did Jesus mean? I said, the word day is only a metaphor for a time of opportunity. Work while it's the, the time of opportunity. Work while you can. Do the works of God. Preach the gospel of Christ. Reach the world. Be the light. Be the salt. Shine for Him. Leave the biggest footprint you can for the glory of God. Uh, extend yourself. Reach out. While you can. While it's day. Because the night comes when opportunity will be gone. And no man can work. And I said to this man, I said, I want you to note that there are freedoms we had 30 years ago that are under incredible attack right now. You know, a teacher can't quote a Bible verse. A coach can't pray on the football field without being dragged into court or fired. Uh, there, there's all kinds of things that 30 years ago you, you could have done and nobody would have hardly blinked. But now they are verboten, forbidden. You're, you're attacked. You're, you, you experience consequences. If you expressed 30 years ago that you disagreed with a person's moral lifestyle, uh, you might have gotten into a debate with somebody, but you weren't called a bigot, a homophobe, a right-wing extremist, a, well, all kinds of wonderful adjectives that I can't say in church, and, and lose your job over it, Lose your uh, friendships over it. Uh, uh, be prosecuted for it. No, that didn't happen. But now, night cometh when no man can work. England's about five years ahead of us in its departure from God. And right now in England and in Canada, there's Christians being arrested routinely. Canada, I read of a, a pastor was arrested Easter weekend. Put in jail. In Canada, our neighbor, put in jail. And, and Canada is closed to the gospel. And, and Canada went that way 30, 40 years ago. See, there, there's a verse in Jeremiah that it's always haunted me. And it's, it, I think it struck me at first because it's very poetic. It, I love the, the play on words and the metaphors that are used. But here's what it says. The sh it's very short. The shadows of the evening are lengthening. Now, Jeremiah said that about the people of Judah and how the sun was setting on them, the sun of God's favor, the sun of opportunity to repent and turn. The sun was setting. And when the sun sets, the shadows are lengthened. All right? When the sun is over, straight overhead, there's not much of a shadow that you leave. It's straight down. But as the sun sets, longer shadows. And Jeremiah said to Judah, where you're concerned, the shadows are lengthening. And I want to tell you, in America, the shadows are lengthening. So I told this man, we have a chance now. Still, we can do things. We need to do it now. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul said in Ephesians 4, for the days are evil. So you got to do what you can do when you can do it. That's free. That wasn't in any of this. I just threw that out because I got that call tonight. So how shall we as believers live as the shadows are lengthening and the sun is setting? Uh, not on you and me. Because the path of the justice is the shining light, and it gets brighter and brighter to the perfect day. But as far as our nation is concerned, I want to tell you, the shadows are lengthening. So 
How do we live here? Well, he, Peter tells us. He tells us first what we should serve. Everybody say serve. serve. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Everybody say amen. amen. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your what, everyone? In your prayers. So what are we to serve? The place of prayer. We're to serve in the place of prayer. The Christians of the first century believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. It had only been three decades since Jesus had ascended right in front of them and disappeared in the clouds. So it was very easy for them to imagine him returning before they died. And so they, they believed that. We've got to remember that even Jesus had told them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. Not for you to know. Don't get all fixed on times and dates. When I hear somebody come out with a new time for Christ's return, I say, not again. Would you stop it? How many people have you won to Christ this week? Quit talking about dates and times. Because I guarantee you when somebody says, here's the day he's coming back, I promise you they're wrong. It's a guarantee they're wrong because no man knows. Isn't that what it said? No man knows. The timing of his return is to remain a mystery. And while we ourselves are to focus on preaching the gospel, which is what I I intend to do, and we're going to do it together. We're going to preach the gospel to the whole world. As, As much as God lets us do, we're going to the whole world. We're going to sound it out worldwide. As much as God lets us do, with the help of God, we're going to take it far and wide. (laughs) Somebody said, when are you going to quit, Jeff? I said, when I can't get there anymore. (laughs) And then I'll pray. I'm never going to quit. Quit is not in the Bible. Transition is, but not quit. Amen. I rode my bike today. I'm doing great. I listen. But anyway, um, so an expectant Simon Peter urges God's people to be sober, watchful, and to serve God in prayer. Uh, Sober, by the way, he said be sober and watchful. Sober means literally unintoxicated. It's about having presence of mind so you can make clear judgments. Uh, It's to be self-controlled. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you don't lose control. He brings self-control. Because what your problem and mine, we didn't have self-control before we got saved. But now, he brings self-control. It's to have your wits about you, being sober, uh, clear-headed. The opposite of being irrational, which is where our country is right now. Irrational. It means to think and act discreetly, to use sound judgment and practice moderation. So we're to be sober, alert, watchful, aware, prayerful as the return of Christ comes closer. Amen. We're to be on our toes, not on our back, asleep in the light. Peter's point is that Jesus could come at any time. Be ready. Amen? Amen. So first we're to serve him in prayer. Then he tells us what we must show. He says in verse 8, Above all things, we have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So what we're to serve and what we're to show. We're to show love. We're to show love. Now, fervent is a great word. It comes from a Greek word that means to be extended, to be stretched out. Picture a rubber band, and you pull it as tight as you can get away with until you know it's going to pop. He's saying, stretch your love. Stretch your capacity to love people. Work at it. Extend it. Try it. Do it. Go the second mile. Love the brethren. The world that Peter and them, when Peter wrote this, the world they were living in, hated them. Didn't just dislike them, hated them. And I'm going to tell you, folks, there's a hatred towards Christianity growing in America 
before our very eyes. Not just a dislike or an apathy, a hatred. A hatred. Now, what's the antidote? Well, you know what? That's when you really need one another. You need the family of God. Because Peter said, we're in a very hostile world. So I want you, church, to learn to love one another. And you, church, pull in the slack of what no one is getting from that world. You pull in the slack. You fervently stretch your love. Uh, Extend yourself. Come out of yourself. Come out of your shell. Come out of your selfishness. And extend yourself and love one another fervently. Intensely. The agape kind of love. Do you know the agape, agape, that word we all know, the Greek word, agape, love? Do you know that's the kind of word that has no dependence on emotion? No, it's a decision. God so agape the world. He decided to love the world. Agape doesn't need some overwhelming romantic sense of love or affection. That's not what agape love is. That's eros. That's the other, uh, another Greek word for love. Eros. That's, that's romantic uh, love. But, but agape love is you make up your mind, I'm going to love these people. If they got purple hair, green hair, no hair, if they're not dressed like me, if they don't look like me, I'm going to love them anyway if they're covered in the blood of the Lamb. We're to be thoughtful. And we're to be forgiving. And we're to be kind. It's not easy to do. That's why he said, choose it with agape love. Choose it. When Channel 8 interviewed us uh, Friday morning, Good Morning Texas, we were interviewed by, um, well, it's a weird thing. The producer heard about us by meeting somebody in a um, physical therapy session. And, And this person said, oh, oh, yeah, I go to Turning Point, and they got this motorcycle club. Well, the producer went, well, that'd be a great show. So, so here, me and several of our, our uh, honor-bound motorcycle riders with their vests on and all the patches and all this other stuff, we went into the green room where all the other guests were. And let me tell you, you talk about a melting pot. I mean, there was a Hollywood actor in there. Uh, there were, listen, it was, you could have cut the tension with a knife. Because here comes Jesse Ariaga, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. And we're in this, this green room with people that are about as far away from Jesus as you could get. And here comes all of our motorcycle guys, great big crosses on their vests, you know, and everybody's calling me pastor, this and that and the other. And boy, the light came on and the cockroaches were running. No, they weren't cockroaches. They, we had good talks with all of them. I got to talking to the actor. He was being real cool to me. And he's been in movies with Sly Stallone, with Affleck, with several others. His resume is really lengthy. And you're saying, well, what was his name? I knew you were going to ask me that. Michael somebody. Can't remember his last name. Anyway, um, I tried talking to him, and he put his shades on. And, like, I'm not into talking. So I thought, how can I get to him? And I thought, of course, his ego. I'll find out what he's been in. And I'll ask him to take a picture with me. So I found out what he was in. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Michael, my wife won't believe that I got my picture taken with you. Boy, those shades came off. He lit up like a light bulb. He put his arm around me. And we took this picture. And all of a sudden, the ice was broken. And he's telling me all about his father. Be a bridge builder. Always. Anyway, that's free too. So next, Peter tells us what we're to shoulder. What we're to shoulder. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Uh Uh-oh. Now he's telling us to open our homes. To be inconvenienced by people 
that need a place. This is a likely reference to travelers, uh, traveling believers actually, busy about the Lord's work and needed a place to stay. They traveled town to town. And there was no public welfare in Peter's day. There were no holiday inns, uh, no places to go. So he's telling the believers, take them in. When they come through your town, take the believers in. They're, they're on a God journey. They're doing God's work. So take them in. Don't hold them out. Don't leave them in the street. Bring them in. Not only that, the people were always watching to seize Christians. So to bring them in would sometimes be to save their life. Peter says, don't grumble. Take your brethren in. Take your brethren in. Amen. So Peter has told us what to serve, what to show, and what to shoulder. And finally, he tells us what to share. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift. How many have received a gift? Each one. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. If you're born again, raise your hand. Okay, can I tell you, definitively, you've got a gift. You've got a God-given gift. Not a talent you were born with, but a gift from the Spirit of God inside of you. So he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this is what we share. This is what we're to share. That's why our church is so big on everybody getting involved and nobody remaining a pew warmer. God didn't call us to be on the bleachers. He called us to be in the game. So we're to share our spiritual gifts with one another. Every one of us, we're to share our spiritual gift, whatever it is. The phrase good stewards, it's interesting. It's from a Greek word used of a manager who's responsible to care for somebody else's estate. As believers, we have received gifts from above. We don't own them. We are stewards of them. We're stewards of them. Remember the parable of the talents? The one with five talents invested them, earned five more. The one with two talents invested them, earned two more. But the one with one did nothing with the talent but buried it. And Jesus called him a wicked and a lazy servant when he came back. So when Jesus gives you and I a gift, in the kingdom's mind, it's an investment. And we are stewards. And you know what? We're, we're going to answer, not for sin, but for what's the return on the gift I gave you? I want you to really think about that. What's the return? I gave you a gift. You say, Pastor, I don't even know what it is. Come to Growth Track this, this Sunday afternoon. Uh, and you know what? We've got over 40 people signed up already. So, um, but if you don't know what your gift is, come to Growth Track this Sunday after the second service, and you can find out what your gift is. But here's, it's not hard to figure out. But here's the deal. Whatever the gift is that he gave you, the Bible lifts a lot of gifts. Whichever one he gave you, he sees it as an investment. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to sow it? Who's going to be touched by it? What's the, re the kingdom return for what I put in you? It's something to really consider everybody. Because when you got the Holy Spirit, my Bible tells me right here, everyone got a gift. One of the many gifts listed in Corinthians and Romans... But whatever which one it is, have you used it? Have you worked it? Have you developed it? Have you sown it? Have you ministered to other people through that gift? First Corinthians 3. At the judgment seat of Christ, the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, my works are going to be tried and your works are going to be tried. Not sin. We're not going to answer for sin. The blood covers us. But our works, what we did with time, what did we do with them?
How did we sow them? And if we sowed our gift to the glory of God and other people were touched by it, then it's gold, silver, and precious stones, and it survives the testing fire. But if we didn't sow it, and we lived for ourselves, and nobody was really much impacted by our faith or our walk or our gift, it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it burns up. And you're still saved, yet so as by fire. I like to say, by the skin of your chinny, chin, chin. You still get in, but isn't it sad without a reward? Um, Y'all are thinking, I know. I don't know what I'm rubbing against here. Oh, there's Ronnie. Okay, now... um, let me just end with an illustration. And I am going to take a couple of questions. Maybe it, I don't know if anybody has one, but if you've got a question for me, uh, be thinking right now because I'm going to close out in just one or two minutes and then I'm going to let them bring you the mic and you ask a question. Don't worry about the mic. Don't worry that you're going to be on national radio. Don't even think about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Um, so with that thought in mind, if you leave thinking about anything tonight, thinking, how has my gift been used? Has it been used? Do I even know what it is? And am I working it, developing it, maturing it, using it? A good illustration is the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The waters of the Jordan River flow into the Sea of Galilee from the north. All right? So the, the Jordan River feeds the Sea of Galilee. I've been in both. I baptized people in the Jordan River, and I got in a boat on the. I lost. I'm losing my mic, guys. Don't know why. Okay, and so I ate a fish that I caught in the Sea of Galilee. But here's the deal: at the south end, the Jordan flows out again. So the Jordan flows in from the north and out in the south. So water comes in, water goes out. But the Dead Sea receives water from the Jordan, but it gives nothing back. Nothing flows out. Water just flows in, but nothing flows out. And so we call it dead. It's the Dead Sea. I've been there too. You don't want to swim in that thing. It's nasty. Why? Because nothing flows out. God intended us to be a sea of Galilee, not a dead sea. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Does anybody have a question? Any questions tonight? Yes. Hey, Pastor. 1 Peter 4, verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And... I believe we can see in the Bible and other places how it says they're going to we'll be judged the living and the dead. Now, I, I don't believe this, but I had a conversation with a Catholic, and the dead being judged may be used as an excuse for purgatory. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what does it mean by the living will be judged and the dead will be judged? Because if you're alive at his return, he's going to judge you alive. And if you have died then the Bible says when the great white throne judgment rolls around, at the end of the thousand-year millennium, the final judgment of all mankind, it says the dead give up the, the people that are in it, the souls that are in it. Hades gives up the dead that are in it. And they're all, they all come before. It's Christ on the great white throne of the great white throne judgment. They'll be judged. So whether living or dead, you will face him, be brought before him. Literally, everybody who's ever died is going to be resurrected. Some to life, some to death. Eternal judgment. Okay? All right. That answer it? Thank you, Connor. 
Yes. Uh, yes, Pastor. I have a question. I was reading Hebrews 6.4.4, and it says, For it's impossible for those who were enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. But if they've fallen away, it's impossible for them to be brought back. Right. So what is your interpretation behind that? Well, okay. And that's, um, that's a big one for people who believe uh, it's talking about people that lose their salvation. Now, there's three golden rules for Bible interpretation. Here they are. Context, context, context. All right? Yeah. He says, it's impossible to bring them back. So it can't be talking about backsliders, because I've known a thousand backsliders who came back. The prodigal son came back. So we can rule out born-again backsliders, right? So what does that leave us? I believe it leaves us people and, I've, and let's remember, Hebrews is written to who? All of us in the sense that, yeah, it's the Word of God, but who was the target audience? Hebrews. Who? Jews. Coming out of Mosaic law and the Mosaic covenants. They're coming out, and they're being preached to, and they're being offered Christ. Now, we know for a fact that in Jesus' ministry alone, Jewish people constantly saw his miracles, saw his power. We experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit when he taught. We know for a fact they were exposed to all the things that she just read that is in that Hebrews 6.4. They were exposed to all those things. They saw the power of God. It was when they saw the power of God manifested in a demon being cast out of a man, that they said Jesus did it by the power of Satan. And that's when Jesus said, you better watch it because you just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so what was Jesus saying? You saw the power of God, and you're attributing it to something else. Now, we know for a fact that Paul the Apostle was very often frustrated, even grieved to the point where he said, if I could, I would burn in hell if it would save my brethren, the Jew. I can't go there. I can't think of a soul I would go to hell for. I'm just being honest with you. But he said, I would go to hell and burn forever if my countrymen could be saved. Well, why was he saying this? Because in all of his ministry, Gentiles were coming in by the droves, but the Jewish people, every once in a while, one would be saved. But for the most part, the Jewish people were rejecting the message of the gospel. So the writer of Hebrews, who I think was Paul, I think it was Paul, um, but whoever it was, they're writing to the Jewish people. And I believe they're talking about the Jewish people who had seen his power, seen his miracles, heard him, saw irrefutable evidence and proof that he was who he said he was. And they were on the outskirts looking in, but he's saying, if they, having been this close to the power and evidence of God in Christ, go back to Moses, You'll never get them back. Now, that's how I interpret that verse. Because backsliders come back. We had some Sunday come back. Welcome back home. Amen? How many of you have ever cooled off to Christ and backslid in your heart, but you came back? Amen? So he can't be talking about born-again people that backslide and then come back. He's talking about another type of person. And I believe that's the type of person he's talking about, the Jewish people. You go to Israel now, it's a secular state. It's a secular country. It's not sold out to Christ. 
in any way, shape, or form. Their day is coming when they're going to be saved in droves. Does that answer the question? Give you something to think about? Okay. Anyone else? All right. All right. Right here. All right, so in um, Numbers 22, it says that that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you to. And then it says, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So why did... Why did okay, God because if you, if you read the whole story, again, context, 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 um, when God first told Balaam, when he first inquired of the Lord, do I go? God said, no. Then they came to him with more what? Money. And he prayed again. Maybe I miss God. Because this is starting to look better and better. And I believe it's one of those examples where, and we see this in the Bible, where God says, First, don't do this, don't go there. Here's my standard. Romans 1 is all about that. Here's my standard. Here's the way I want you to live. And we're not happy with it. So we push and we push against God's word. Eventually, he will say, you know what? Go for it. Go for it. The phrase is God gave them up, turned them over, gave them up. Three times in Romans 1. My take on Balaam, who ended up being killed later in battle, um, God said no. That should have settled it. God told him no. But when he had more money offered, he said, come on, Lord. Let, let's let's uh, flex a little bit here. Can I go? God said, all right, go. But you can only say what I tell you to say. And I think the angel stopping the donkey three times. He beat that poor donkey. I feel so bad for that donkey every time I read it because he's hitting him. And it's crazy, it's, especially when the donkey starts talking to him and it doesn't occur to him that that's really weird. He talks right back. I call that crazy. My dog talks to me. Let me tell you, I'm making a phone call. All right? Come get me. I need help. But the donkey, uh, have I ever done you wrong? The donkey says, all these years I've served you. And, and he says, no, you haven't. Now they're having this conversation. And then Balaam realizes the angel of the Lord is making that donkey stop. I believe God was letting him know, you better hear me on this one. You can't curse my people. Because Balak wanted him to curse the people, thinking he could speak a curse over them and stop them. And so Balaam, he's letting Balaam know, you don't mess with my people. I'm letting you know, here's the angel of the Lord. That's why your donkey won't go forward. I want you to understand the gravity of this. And so he gives one of the greatest messianic prophecies in the whole Bible when Balak stands him in front of all the people down in the valley, and all he does is prophesy about the coming Messiah. And it was powerful. But he had a problem with money. And how many of you know what Balaam did wrong? Why he got judged and God took his life? Do you know? Because he's prophesying. He's obeying God. He's not saying anything to them that God doesn't tell him to. Balak is totally frustrated with him. Man, you're useless. I gave you all this money, and you're not cursing them. Why did he end up, why is it called the error of Balaam in Jude? Why is it called the error of Balaam? Because when all the prophesying was done, before he left, he told Balak, you want to take them down? Let your women co-mingle with them and bring them into sexual sin. And then you conquer them because God will have to judge them. Do you know that? That's called the Council of Balaam, and they did it. Balak did it. He sent the 
pagan women in amongst the men of Israel, thousands of them fell, messed up, went into sin. God judged them, and thousands of them died. And it was a huge blight on Israel's history because of the counsel of Balaam. So even though he prophesied God wouldn't let him curse Israel, the real Balaam came out, and he counseled on how to bring Israel down. And it worked. That's free. Let's stand up. Oh, I forgot. No, that's I'm fine. sorry. Okay. A few days back, I was listening to a program on the radio, and they were saying that the Catholic religion believes that all people will be raptured and that judgment will come, you know, after the rapture. And my thing of it is, I mean, it so clearly states in the scriptures, it, to me it's an injustice that, you know, they do talk about many times, you know, like two be in a field, one will be taken and one will be left. And it tells of other ones, though. I mean, was that something that I just heard from somebody's opinion? I have never that heard that. that. And, but, and but that fails. That and it, it just like, yeah. what? But, yeah, but that, that's what I, you know. I've never heard it. it. It fails spectacularly in this way. If everybody's raptured, who's there for the Great Tribulation? Hello? Because that means that Antichrist gets raptured, too. I've never heard that. That's loony. you got to watch those radio preachers. Let's stand up together, everybody. Amen. Father, we just thank you tonight for your precious word. Guide us and lead us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that um, Jesus is coming back. Thank you, Lord, that we have that living hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the promises of God. And we thank you for what we have learned tonight out of 1 Peter 4. You gave your apostle those words for us, and we hold them tight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless all of you. We love you. Have a good night.